Good morning. One of my favorite authors is turned into a guy by the name of Malcolm Gladwell. Anybody read any of Malcolm Gladwell's books? Uh, he's had it, several of them. He's not a Christian guy. Uh, seems like most of his books become New York Times bestsellers. He's got a really intriguing look at life, uh, the way he observes things, researches things, and writes about them. He's got one book called Blink, another one, Tipping Point. We're going to focus a little bit on that. And this last one's called Outliers. It's a kind of a story of success. Um, his look at why some people are successful and why uh, some aren't. And I just loved it. Uh, if you want a fun read, again, he's not a Christian author, but I saw the hand of God on every page. Uh, so let me commend that to you. Uh, but one of the books I want to focus on today is called Tipping Point. And it's an interesting book where he focuses upon those magical moments um, where an idea or, or some kind of trend or social behavior uh, kind of crosses over a threshold. It reaches like a boiling point. It tips. And then all of a sudden there's like a wildfire. And interestingly, Gladwell looks at good things and bad things. He looked at things like, why did crime all of a sudden go down in New York City of all places? What were the things that led to that tipping point? Uh, he also looked at things like why in certain areas did teen suicide all of a sudden seem to reach a tipping point and become like an epidemic, an epidemic. Uh, there are those who actually study epidemics. Uh, it's a phrase, the tipping point comes from their study. They look at these things and say, what is that tipping point where something becomes an epidemic? And interestingly, it doesn't just have to be in healthcare. It can happen in a lot of social circles. So the question I had reading the book, and it's been a couple years now, was to say, God, what is a tipping point to lead to a gospel epidemic? Wouldn't that be awesome? The tipping point that would lead this church into greater love and devotion from God. I got a little taste of it with these guys right here this week. I drove over to Daytona twice uh, to go and to uh, worship with Chris Tomlin and 7,000 teenagers. Jack compared me to Louis Giglio. Louis somewhere wants to slap him right now. But uh, uh, it was amazing stuff. And to see our teens and to see 7,000 other young people excited about the glory of God, excited about the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf, excited about being filled with the Holy Spirit and living for Him. It was that gospel epidemic that I longed for. I say, God, what can we do? How do we lead this church into a gospel ep epidemic? And really, the answer for us isn't something that we manipulate. The answer for us isn't really us. It isn't a part. The answer is God. And the answer is God's Word. And God's Word today, as we make our way back into Ephesians, is going to show us a bit of a tipping point. A bit of what will happen if the church really is working together in love. What will happen if we grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus? What will happen is if, if we function well together? What will happen to this body? And Scripture is going to tell us that we will build each other up in love. 
We are going to grow in Christ's likeness. We are going to reach this, what this pastor longs for. This gospel tipping point where Jesus becomes so much more beautiful to us. We're living the gospel out in our life and our deeds becomes just a part of our DNA. That gospel tipping point. Well, it's been a few weeks uh, since we've been in Ephesians. And by the way, when I went and I outlined uh, our study together in Ephesians way back in February, this one sermon I circled. I mean, I was excited about this from day one. So here we are. I'm a little nervous. I'm going to mess it up now. So we got to pray that the Spirit of God will come and speak powerfully. But for those of you who may be visiting or for all of us who remember, don't really remember, what are we talking about in Ephesians again? You just talked about the prodigal son in the last three weeks. Let me quickly remind you. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, preserved for us by the Holy Spirit, inspired. It is for us too. And he lets us know in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, what the whole point of the letter is. And it's this, is that God is making known a mystery. He's revealing a mystery in Jesus Christ, that in Jesus Christ, God is uniting all things in heaven and earth under Christ. Okay, so this is important. God has a plan for the world today, tomorrow, and by the way, yesterday. And that plan includes that everything, everything that has breath is going to be united under the kingship, the lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ. And those of us who have been set free by the blood of the Lamb, those of us who have tasted this incredible grace and gift of Jesus, we long for this. We get on our tippy toes and we long for the day that Christ will even more unite all things in Christ Jesus and all the world. That's why the preparos are going to Germany. They're there because God has a world mission and that's uniting everything under Christ. And the way he does it is he takes dead sinners like you and me and he makes us alive in Christ. This is now Ephesians 2. Not only does he make us alive, he makes us one. We say we are we are family. We are Christ family. He is the head of this family. We are the body. We are family. Not just here at Orangewood. This is true of every believing Christian. It was so good to be with those 7,000 family members at the Ocean Center in Daytona worshiping Jesus. But we are family. And it's through us, through the family of God, that God is going to use to unite the world to himself. We're his ambassadors. We're the ones he wants to use to tell this great story that Jesus is king, that we can be set free, that we can have life in Christ Jesus. Man, abundant life. And we are to tell the world of this great story. Not only are we family that's one, but also Paul is making a good point by saying each one of you as a child of God has a gift. Yes, we're one, but we're also diverse. We're also unique. We also uh, make up many parts, make up this one beautiful family, this one beautiful church. And listen, we're better together and we're better connected to each other and we need one another family to worship properly as each one of us who's been uniquely gifted is using our gifts to build one another up and to advance Christ's kingdom. And as we do that, the gospel tells us that we, as we live out the gospel, as we work together, uh, we reach this gospel tipping point 
that is going to be before us in Ephesians. So we have actually made our way to Ephesians chapter 4. You want to turn with me in your Bibles? We're going to look at two verses, verses 15 and 16. If you'd like to follow along in your bulletins, there's an outline there for you. And again, we're looking at this gospel tipping point. Let's be mindful. This is God's holy, inerrant, beautiful, never lead us astray word. And this is what God's word has for us this morning in Ephesians 5. I'm so 4, verses 15 and 16. Rather, and again, Paul is saying that we shouldn't be like children being tossed back and forth, not really knowing what we believe, not growing in Christ. But rather, we as a body, we need to be speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. So you got a picture here of a body, a body that God has made by Himself, created for Himself, that each one of us is a part of, and we are to grow into the head, which is Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, harmoniously, synchronized, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let us pray. Father, oh how I long for you to come and to tip this church into a direction of gospel-centeredness even more than we are today. Oh God, how I long for each member of Orangewood to use the gifts that you have given them to build up the body, to grow in you and to know and love you. But God, my desire for this is so small and pitiful compared to to your desire, Christ Jesus, for your church. Your church that you shed your blood for. The church that you call your bride. The church, Jesus, that you love and cherish and make beautiful. So Father, we're talking now about Christ's church and and your glory and and the need to speak truth and love and to grow in Christ's likeness and have the posture that we need to have to be a useful church. Father, we can only do that by Your grace. We can only do that through the Gospel. We can only do that as if You come now with power, the power of the resurrected Savior, and speak through a broken sinner. Father, give us ears to hear the voice of Jesus, our Good Shepherd, who laid His life down for us. Spirit of the living God, come and fill our minds, illumine our minds with understanding so we understand who we are in Christ. We understand the truth. And again, today, the truth will set us free. Father, we ask that You in a supernatural way will come into our hearts and remove the heart of stone that still is there. And Father, shine light into the darkness of our disbelief. And that Lord, for Your glory and for the church's sake, that we would reach that gospel tipping point, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you and you alone receive glory and we receive joy and encouragement and challenge. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Maybe one of the most famous movie lines of our lifetime, or at least the last 20 years. It's Jack. Jack on the witness stand in a movie, A Few Good Men, getting grilled, getting grilled to tell the truth of a story. And in that moment, in his anger and in his, his arrogance, he cries out, you can't handle the truth. You know it? Can you picture that scene? Basically, it's a truism. As I look at my own life, I realize that there is true that I cannot handle the truth without the Gospel. Without Christ. And so we need to be able to handle this truth in a Gospel-centered way that will lead us that we will be able to speak the truth to one another in love. They'll be able to have proper growth, proper posture, and basically uh, proper motives of love. But we, in and of ourselves, can't handle the truth. Because I want to tell you the truth apart from Jesus Christ. The truth is, I'm broken. And I can't fix me. The truth is, I'm not good enough for God and His love apart from Christ. The truth is, I'm a sinner who keeps on falling. And the truth hurts. And the truth hurts of that reality of how I struggle and how you, you struggle. And, and sometimes the truth has an incredible sting to it, does it not? And the enemy in my life, our enemy of Satan, loves to remind me of my brokenness. And loves to remind me of my failings. And loves to remind me that, Jeff, you're a pastor. How in the world can you think that way? How in the world can you speak that way? How in the world can you live that way? Here is the truth. And the truth is you fail. The truth is you do not measure up. The truth is ugly. And it's painful. And it's true. And it hurts. And i got to tell you, the reality is, apart from Christ, I cannot handle the truth. None of us can. And that's why that we as a world will seek things to mask the truth. That's why we pursue addictions to cover up the brokenness. But Jesus has come, and here's what it says in John 8.32. It tells us that the truth shall set us free. The truth shall set us free, but in reality, apart from Christ, the truth does nothing but rough me up. The truth does nothing but remind me that my own standards aren't good enough. The truth on my own leads me to further and further bondage. But the truth is, is this. Here's the truth in love, Orangewood. Each and every one of us. Here's the truth in love. You're radically broken. Your life is a broken life because of sin. Just like mine. You and I, we have fallen short of the glory and perfection of God. Your life and my life merits God's wrath apart from Christ. The truth is, our sin has separated us from a holy God. That's the truth. And I say it to you in love. 
But really what we need to look at with this truth and love is, is the gospel that really does set us free. You see, the only way to receive the truth is in love. This is, this is, listen, of all the things I'm going to say today, we've got to really track with this. We can't miss it. Because the truth is supposed to set us free. We're supposed to communicate truth with one another and, and love. But the reality is my own life, and the truth really hurts. But the Gospel will set us free because Jesus came and said this, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. John 14.6 Jesus truly is truth wrapped in love. The Word of God in flesh. And the only way to handle the truth is to receive Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's the only way. And we realize that in Christ, we really are free. In Christ, we really are love. Now let's, 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 let's bore on this a little bit more. Let's talk about this a little bit further. The truth is supposed to set us free, but the truth is a sinner. It beats me over the head every day. It reminds me of how far I've fallen short. But the truth in Christ is this, that God loves sinners so much that He would send His Son to come and to live the life that we didn't live. You see, God doesn't change His standards. There's a holy God, a holy God who hates sin, a holy God who has to deal with sin, a holy God that to be in His presence, perfection is needed. And we failed. The truth is, is we failed. So He sent His Son to come and embody truth and embody life. He came to do that which we failed to live. And that is this, to live a pleasing life to the Father. To obey what we couldn't obey. To do what we choose not to do or are unable to do. The standard that the Father is a holy God set of perfection. The Holy Son meets on earth as a righteous king, as one who's come to live for us, and one who's come to die for us. So we have on one side of the equation, truth. Jesus came and personified truth. Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? It was standing in front of him and he missed it. And Jesus said, I've come as truth in person and I've come to set you and me free. He's come to set us free. So he came and he fulfilled the law of God so that it wouldn't beat us up anymore. So the reality is, is his truth and his righteousness can become ours. But there's more to the story that's absolutely amazing. When we fail to live for truth and when we sin, the wages of that is truly death. Truly separation from God. There's a penalty to be paid for sin. There's a penalty to be paid in a holy God's sight that we all, all sinners, must pay unless someone else is willing to make that payment for us. And that's Jesus. Do you know Him? Do you know that God would take the only one who knew no sin to become our sin so that we could be the righteousness of God? Do you know that Jesus on the cross, if you're a child of the living God, He took all of your sin, your past, your present, your future junk. God the Father took all of your foibles, all, of, all the things that you've messed up with. He took all of them, not just apart, but in whole. And He put them on the shoulders of His Son. And He drove nails into His hands and into His feet. And he says, I'm going to make a payment for this sin. I'm going to make a payment so that you and I can be set free. And then we have this empty tomb 
which is a proclamation that God accepted the payment on our behalf. That now that Jesus lives, we live. I know this is a gospel. And I know it sounds like, man, I've heard this. But i got to tell you the truth. I don't believe that we often see with the eyes of the gospel that really sets us free. Because this pastor often lets the truth beat me up instead of setting me free to live for Christ. And every once in a while, by God's grace, He's going to show me the finished work of Christ on my behalf. That Jesus really did pay for my sins. He's going to show me the reality that I'm robed in Christ's righteousness. He's going to show me the reality that now I am God's child and I have been set free. Have you? Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. The only way we speak the truth in love is if we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. If you do not know Jesus, the truth will pierce your heart. The truth is awfully painful. But now, the only people who can embody the truth are his his believers, it's his family. And God has called us now to embrace this truth, to speak this truth to one another, to live this out. Really, the interesting Greek here is this, that we are to be truthing, truthing, Our lives should be filled with truth. Our lives should be truthing in love. We should be speaking truth to one another and leading each other in Christ. And I can't make it uh, strong enough. God, I ask you to help me speak clearly. Has the truth set you free? I've been a Christian a long time. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time and I look at my life in the last six months and I just so many points in my life that the truth, I'm not living in truth. I'm living back in that lie that I'm not good enough. I'm living back in that lie that I got to do something on my own to bring to the Father to accept so he'll love me. And, and somehow as a pastor and somehow as a Christian for a long time, somehow I've let my life slip into a place where the truth hasn't set me free. And sometimes I, somehow I forgot the reality of what Christ has done for me and, and that I am completely loved in Christ and that I am completely forgiven in Christ and I am completely set free and I look at my own dead works and the truth is crushing me. But by God's grace, He shows me afresh His Son And he says, don't you understand how much I love you in Christ? Don't you understand how complete you are in Christ? Don't you understand when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant your sins are paid for. Don't you understand that you are my beloved child? I'll never change my mind about you. You are free in Christ. Is that good news? Brothers and sisters, we'll never reach the point in the church of that gospel tipping point if that story, that simple gospel story doesn't burn deeply in our souls. Many of us believe that we are saved by God's grace and we live our lives trying to earn His salvation He's given us. It's grace every step of the way. It's freedom every step of the way. It's just experiencing the love of Christ. 
And the only way we are going to grow is if we speak the truth to one another in love. And the truthfully is, is I don't often speak the truth to you in love because I'm afraid of the way you'll treat me. You see, I don't speak the truth oftentimes to you in love, even if I see something, because I'm afraid that you might reject me. And if you reject me, then you know, how, do, how do you build the church that way? But the reality is this, if the gospel penetrates our hearts deep enough that we realize how accepted we are in Christ, how loved we are in Christ, and how that position will never change, guess what now we have the freedom to do? To speak truthfully to one another in love. That's the only way to do it. But we will tell each other the truth in love. And I look at my own life, I don't know how it was with you, but there's a lot of times where I see something that God is calling me to interact and say, you know, it's not quite right. That's not really honoring to God. And I hold my tongue because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that you'll reject me. So I don't speak the truth. But if I really loved you, if I really loved you, I would tell you the truth and you would tell me the truth. If we really, doesn't it make sense? If we really loved each other, we are going to be honest with each other. And then listen, and the only way we can be honest with each other is if the gospel sets us free. And in most churches, it hasn't. We're still afraid of our reputation and our names. And, and don't tell me about truth. Look at your own life. We get all defensive. And listen, the only way we're going to meet, reach this gospel tipping point is if together we're speaking the truth in love. If together we're encouraging one another in love. If together we're looking into each other's lives and caring one another and living for one another, connecting with one another, pointing one another continually to Jesus. And here's the good news. As we continually look to Him, we continually be set free. It's really good news. It's the only way we can get there. We also have to have proper growing, and that is growing into our head, our head being Christ. I recently read a really sad story of a, la- a lady by the name of Mandy Sellers, a 34-year-old English woman who was born with a rare health abnormality. She was just born with, like, really disproportionately large legs. And they didn't stop growing. And you see the picture of her uh, on this internet story. And she's an attractive, single, 34-year-old woman. You know, they have a picture of her, kind of her head. And she looks completely normal. And then they show you a picture of her when she was a baby. And you're like, oh my goodness. You see a normal baby head, a normal baby uh, uh, body. And all of a sudden, there's these huge legs. My goodness, just think of what that child suffered growing up. And now that she's a, a 34-year-old woman... Each one of her legs weighs over 100 pounds. So to, to total, this woman is 280 pounds. 80 pounds normal. And 100 pounds apiece with her legs. You see, it's so sad when we see or hear stories about that when our body grows out of proportion with the rest of the body. That really, it just, it's, it breaks our heart. And as Christians... God is calling the church that we aren't to grow in a disproportion. That we're to grow together in Christ's likeness, our head. That we are to grow in Christ. Not just the elders and deacons. Not just the pastors. But every true lover of Jesus is to be growing in your love and knowledge of Jesus. God has given us life not to be stagnant. Not to stay where we are. But to grow to the point where we know Him better. We love Him more. We're more obedient to Him. And I want to tell you a picture of what I see of growing in Christ's likeness for us. It's basically this. It's the realization that we have to die to ourselves. Die to our own agendas. Die to our own sinfulness and live for Christ Jesus. 
Growing in Christ Jesus is this, waking up every day and taking a good, hard look in the mirror of who you are in Christ. Who you are in Christ is looking out in the mirror in the morning and having the mirror tell you that yes, you're broken. Yes, you're not good enough. Yes, you've still failed. But the reality is that Christ died for me. The reality is Christ lives for me. The reality is I'm robed in His righteousness. The reality is the Father ridiculously loves me in Christ. And today, I'm going to live out of that blessing. That's growing in Christ's likeness. It's realizing that we truly have been set free. They really is in love with us. We're dying to ourselves and we're living for Him. That's what Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ Jesus. The life I live, I no longer live in the flesh for me. I now live for Him, for Christ, the One who died for me. Are we growing in our relationship, our love and our knowledge of Christ? Two ways we got to grow. we got to grow with our heads, knowing Him more through Equipping Center, uh, WIC, Women's Ministry, Band of Brothers for Men, through your own personal Bible studies, through small groups. God is calling us to grow, grow, grow. Reach that tipping point so that we won't be tossed to and fro. To grow, grow, grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ so we'll be able to stand up for what we believe. To grow, but also to grow in our, our love. Our love for Him. Proper growing, proper posture is really... Uh, uh, our connection to one another. That God has connected us to each other. Certainly Christ is, is our, our head, our king. And really, this, this is interesting. It talks about the body of Christ working properly together. There's something, it's just poetry in motion. You know that athlete that you watch and say, man, that is poetry in motion. Or maybe that dancer, that is poetry in motion. What are they talking about? They're talking about when all the parts of a body work together so fluidly, so beautifully for a common goal, uh, for uh, just the, the grace of gliding through life, that poetry in motion. This is what God's Word is telling us to have, poetry in motion, that we are together to be synchronized swimmers, that God has gifted each one of us in unique ways. That we are to grow together. We are to be connected to one another. Listen, the body is not about a bunch of individual parts. Orangewood will never be who God intends, intends us to be unless we realize that the, the flow between one another is a good, healthy body with joints and ligaments. The blood flows between one another. That we're connected to one another. We're holding on to one another. We love one another. We challenge one another. But each and every part has to be aligned. The core of Orangewood, the strength of each member growing in their love and knowledge of Jesus has to be together. Does the small parts matter? According to 2 Corinthians 11, those parts of the body are 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, those parts of the body that seem small are indispensable. Do you need your pinky toe? Probably could live without it, but how do you feel when you stub it? Does it affect everything in your life? Isn't it amazing? You ever gotten hurt in one part of your body and think it's insignificant? And how many times that week do you nail it? Ow! Oh, I can't believe how many times I use a part that is hurting, a part that is broken. It's so true with the body of Christ. God has gifted you. God has gifted you to grow in your love and knowledge of Christ. God has gifted you to serve Christ. For some of you, it might be giving. For some of you, it might be leading. For some of you, it might be encouraging. I don't know how he has given you, but God has given, gifted you 
to be a blessing to Him and a blessing to one another. That our posture must be that we're growing in our love and knowledge of Jesus and we're growing together. We're connected together, holding one another up. And lastly, as our, our, our proper motive is wrapped in love. Again, it's one of those moments where I just know I'll, I'll fail because I won't, be able to, I won't be able to talk about Christ's love in a beautiful enough way. But the one thought I want to leave you with is this. I love that God is calling us to grow and to love one another and love Christ. I love God is calling us to build the body up in love. We reach that tipping point where if all these things are happening, if we really are growing in our love and knowledge of Christ individually and corporately, if we really are connected to one another and loving Him, if we're growing in Him, we're going to reach that gospel tipping point. It says this, the body will grow itself up in love. But I want to leave you with that in love thought. Isn't it great that our Father says this, I want you to live your life for me in love. Because my son Jesus came as truth and love. And truth and love set you free. That he's not a father who says this, now live your Christian life. And if you mess up, Orangewood, I'm going to tell you, i got a big stick. I'm going to whack you. Or you better watch out because I'm going to give you some plague that we talked about in the Old Testament. You better watch out or I'm going to remove my love for you. You better watch out because I'm going to do these terrible things. And I'm telling you what, if God did that and God could do what he wants to do, he's God. I mean, I say, okay, I understand. But he doesn't. He says this, I want you to do everything motivated by love. Everything motivated by love. My love for you. That's why I came for you. The Father loves the world so much, he demonstrates it by sending his Son. That while we were still sinners, Christ would come and die. Then now Jesus says that to us, all that we do should be compelled by the love of Christ. Do you love Him? Do you love Him? Do you know His love? Has His love truly set you free? It's not about a mechanical work for Him. It's a respond to a God who would come in flesh and die for us. It's a God who just doesn't stop loving us. And he wants us to respond because Orangewood, we're just in love with him. And the love of Jesus is greater than anything we tasted. And the love of Jesus is greater than anything the world can offer. And together we're going to speak that truth to one another in love and grow in him, have the proper posture in him, all motivated by love. Do you love him? As his love set you free. Love one another. Let us pray. Father, I know that there's got to be people here who don't understand the truth of the gospel. Maybe they're religious people. Maybe they've been in church for a long time. But in reality, the truth hasn't set them free. It's done anything but. And Jesus, I thank You that You came to be the way, the truth, and the life to give us freedom in Christ Jesus. I thank You for the reality that we don't have to be afraid of the fact that we are broken and we are failures, but that Christ truly loves us and has set us free 
with His righteousness and with His blood and the work on Calvary, God, would You send that reality and power to each and every one of Your children. And for those here today who have yet to be set free by the Gospel, may today be the day where they embrace Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Acknowledging that they're broken. And they want to embrace the free grace and love of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for this church. It's not mine. It's not the elders. It's Christ's church. Father, You would do what You want with us. But God, that Your Spirit would stir our hearts to love. To love one another deeply and to love You. May the Gospel truly set us free. May we be a church that speaks the truth, no matter how unpopular, in love. Your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll stand for the benediction. Now to the one who's able to keep you from stumbling. I mean, our gracious God is so incredible that He will actually keep us from stumbling. To the one who will cause us to stand in His glorious presence. One day, we will see Jesus face to face. Our faith will be our sight. And we'll see our Savior. To our Lord Jesus Christ, to the one who has brought us to the Father. To Him and to Him alone. And to His Spirit be glory, honor, majesty and dominion both now and forevermore. Amen. And go in His peace.